bishops, brother friars, priests, family, and those loved by God. Father Michael was my brother. And with these words from Father Dave Pavanka, Franciscan T.O.R., we begin our Catching Foxes Memorial of Father Mike Scanlon. To us, he was a spiritual giant shaping our entire lives, as well as the landscape of Catholicism in America. A Harvard lawyer, a Roman Catholic priest, a Franciscan friar, a dean, a pivotal figure in the charismatic renewal, a pro-life legend, Father Michael Scanlon, born 1931 in Long Island, and died last Saturday, January 7th, 2017, after a protracted illness, lived a singular life of grace. In this episode, Luke and I speak of his impact on our lives, which curiously ebbed and flowed with the homily Father Dave Pavanka gave at the university's memorial service on January 11th. I, so I co-mingled Father Dave's words with our own discussion, as well as adding in a few choice quotes Franciscan University had gathered together so that you can get a sense of the man. It is our sincere hope that you pray with Father Dave at the end of this episode and let Christ be the Lord of your life and let his Holy Spirit lead you into the path of peace. Father Mike was a good man. He was a true priest and a beautiful witness that God is still moving in our world today. So here, on the day he was laid to rest at his mother house in Loretto, Pennsylvania, Thursday, January 12th, 2017, we hope that you too can trust God enough to let the fire fall. I had the blessing to be uh, in those years to be able to travel a lot with Father Mike and, and always being nervous preaching when Father Mike was there. And it's like, ah. And I would say to Father, I'd say, Father, what am I supposed to say? And he says, preach Jesus. Good advice. Good advice. I remember one time he and I were giving a couple of days of workshops outside of Chicago. And, and we'd both been asked to give a particular talk. Father Mike had been asked to give a talk, something like the joy of the gospel and living the gospel or something like that. I'd been ordained two years and I was asked to give a talk on persevering through the difficulties of priesthood and ministry. <laughs> two years. I mean, my life was great. I said, Father Mike, how about we switch? <laughs> Preach Jesus. <laughs> but we switched. And I went to bed at midnight, and my kids woke me up at 4.15, so an hour ago. And I knew I had my, uh, my alarm set for uh, 4.45 so I could start, start to wake up for this. And uh, I was like, oh, I don't have any of my equipment set up downstairs because I had taken it all with me so that I could record something, and I never even touched it. Uh, <laughs> so, so here I am. So last night I was reading Let the Fire Fall. All weekend mm. I've been reading. So... Yeah, so let me just say that I'm, I'm going to have to put this on pause real quick so I can go get, I think I must have taken my copy of Let the Fire Fall Upstairs, but um, I feel like his death is is Father Michael Scanlon, the great um, dean of the College of Steubenville, turned into Franciscan University of Steubenville. Uh, he's being buried today in his, um, in uh, Loretto. Uh, Loretto, Pennsylvania, at the TOR Franciscan Motherhouse, um, and so we are going to um, we're going to kind of talk about that. 
today, talk about his legacy, talk about who he is and what he meant to us. But I I felt like this could not have been a better weekend for his passing because I walked into this room filled with evangelists, the majority of whom had their lives changed by Father Michael Scanlon's legacy. I sit down. The very first thing I do, I sit down. We're about to celebrate Mass. Father Dave Pavanka, who mm-hmm. is a TOR Franciscan with Father Mike, is celebrating Mass. And the woman next to me, Dr. Carol Brown, leaned over and said, Father Michael Scanlon has died. And it was like, it was like, oh, no, Grandpa died. Like, mm-hmm. that's that's how I think about him. Yeah. Grandpa. Like, he is my religious grandfather. Mm-hmm. And... When I heard that, I was just like, oh, oh, no, oh, no. Yeah. And, and, then, um, and then I started getting the emails that, that next morning, you know, on my phone. It's like all these people giving tributes, uh, giving tributes to him. And uh, to be honest, like, I know how we can over-spiritualize stuff, but we were a bunch of charismatics gathered in an upper room dedicated to the task of evangelizing the church in our postmodern America and we all were like, I feel like Father Mike, like he died. It, like he literally died when our our meeting started. And I was like, I feel like this is like totally a seamless continuation of his legacy and his spirit. So it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. So I get a call from Father Provincial on Monday morning. And when I saw the number, I was afraid of what he was going to say, huh? And he bestowed on me the blessing and the honor to be able to do this. And he gave me a couple of ideas of what I might be able to use as far as the scriptures were concerned. But he said, Dave, use whatever you feel. So I went to bed that night praying. It's like, Lord, what scripture should I use? What gospel should I use? And I woke up late that night thinking about the wedding of Cana for a memorial mass. So I explained to the Lord, he had it wrong. (laughs) This is a memorial mass for a priest. So I was very patient. He went back to sleep and woke up, reflecting and praying about the wedding of Cana. So I sat with those scriptures. And I heard Our Lady say, do whatever he tells you. And I thought of Father Mike. And I imagine the scene of them bringing these huge jugs of water and those water, that water being transformed, that water being changed into wine and wine becoming a symbol of hope and a symbol of joy and a symbol of resurrection. And I hear the Lord continually saying, do whatever he tells you. And that transition and that transformation and that conversion that's taking place from water to wine and the wine becoming a symbol for us. And I come to realize that maybe the Lord is on to something here, huh? Maybe there is something that the Lord would want to say to us on this day, on this celebration of the life of Father Michael Scanlon, when we hear Our Lady say to us, as Michael heard so many times, do whatever he tells you. And if we do that, we see this conversion that takes place from water to wine, this transformation that we see in the life of Father Michael Scanlon and being able to do whatever it is that Jesus asks of him. 
And it's a good thing that we do that. And it's a good thing that Father Michael Scanlon did whatever Jesus wanted. Because if Father Mike would have done what Father Mike wanted, none of us would be here. Amen? It was because Father Michael Scanlon did whatever Jesus asked of him. Let's just get this out of the way. Can you imagine all the things that would not have happened without him? Like, try yeah. to think about that. And, and and I know that that's, you know, been uh, talked about a bunch. But my parents met at a student law conference. Oh, so Luke wouldn't have happened. Yeah, like, him. I mean... Yeah, absolutely. The conception of Luke Gregory Carey never would have occurred without the ministry of Father Michael Scanlon. That is awesome. Isn't that crazy? I mean, think about all the things that would not have happened. This podcast would not would not have existed. That's clearly the most important part. Um, I would <laughs> somehow not... we make the legacy and death of Father <laughs> Michael Scanlon all about us. I would not have um, found us. Like, what other college would have accepted us? And the beautiful thing is that Father Michael so oftentimes discovered that in his brothers. We hear the story, and we all know the story of this encounter that Father Michael has with Christ that begins to change his life. And in one of those encounters, he hears the Lord say to him, Michael, will you give me your entire life? To which Michael, always being the attorney, begins to bargain. Well, what does that look like? What exactly do you mean all of my life, the entirety of my life? So finally he submits to that and he says yes, understanding that that is what Jesus was asking him to do. And water is beginning to be transformed into wine. Yeah, like I had had ideas of going to um, St. Thomas Aquinas in San Paolo. And uh, because I just love the idea of doing like a liberal arts, you know, like really strong into the great books and stuff like that. But knowing what I know about my life in college, <laughs> I do not think I would have fit in in any of the major, you know, super devout Catholic dynamically. Ortho- mm-hmm. It was the dynamism that the, the of dynamic orthodoxy that made sense for us, you know? We would have, like, and I, and I mean this with all due respect, we would have died at, like, a Christendom. We would have withered. We would have withered. We absolutely. Withered. Not, and that's not a judgment on them. Sort of, it's more so about uh, who we are and our personalities would not have fit that place. When did you first encounter Father Mike? Uh, this is great. I love this because this speaks to the nerdiness of me <laughs> growing up. But Father <laughs> Michael Scanlon was every single uh, Sunday, I watched him on EWTN. Father Mike, uh, Dr. Regis Martin, and Scott Hahn doing uh, Franciscan University Presents. I watched that so much that when I went to Franciscan, even though I never attended a live taping, I don't know why. I don't know if you remember this, Luke. I used to rent the video cassettes on VHS of old shows that I had never seen. That, do you remember that at all? I used to have these Vaguely. stacks of VHSs, and I would watch them downstairs, and you'd be like, what are you watching? You literally go to school with these people? They're your professors. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, and how? <laughs> and this is the weird part. At any other school, you're like beaten up and abandoned. At Steubenville, <laughs> we're celebrated. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. That's why it's great. Well, Father Mike, uh, uh, you have been a superb host. 
of uh, the EWTN show, uh, Franciscan University Presents, which we have done together for something like 200 years. Uh, and you are the only man I know uh, who has succeeded in getting Scott Hahn and myself to shut up uh, from time to time so that you can make your own uh, wonderful points about faith. Uh, so Father Mike was always a, a larger-than-life personality for me because I knew of his affiliation with the conferences. I had um, really the, the Franciscan University conferences radically shaped the university itself, so the summer conferences changed the university and, and vice versa. But um, for me, the, the biggest thing uh, – I mean, do you want me to tell, like, my story with him – no, yeah, I mean, just really, I mean, because I've got a, I mean, I think, uh, yeah, like, tell Okay, well, tell okay, story. so, yeah, so, really, I have um, three instances of Father Mike in when I was at Franciscan, because, like we said, he he wasn't super active, um, and he was older and, and whatnot, but um, my first was me and me and our buddy John, Adam, and and you, we would sit around these gazebos as freshmen, and we would talk till three, four o'clock in the morning, Uh and they were really awesome conversations. And I remember one time uh, we were talking about Father Mike and how if he were to walk by, would we feel like the Holy <laughs> Spirit has like 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 literally like a boat going through water? And we would I just get the that. yeah yeah. And so I would always remember that. And then we would you know our dorm was just south of where or just downhill from where the um, the friary was for the for the Franciscan friars and the calf. It was just down a sidewalk. We had a common sidewalk. So if they, if any time the friars were going down to main campus, they would walk down this little path, uh, slightly up the hill from the calf. And I remember there was like two or three times where Father Mike and me and Drizalt, me and our friend John, would uh, <laughs> would be there on the sidewalk, and he would walk by, and we would both part on either side, and we'd be like, hey, <laughs> like we couldn't even, we were like respecting the man too much to say his name coherently and uh <laughs> and we said and we would both go whoa like as if like we were just rocked by the by the effects of of the holy spirit floating behind him and then our friend john would come up and say uh oh let the fire fall <laughs> and we and then we would laugh and then we'd be like oh that was so awesome i love him so much um my other story with him i mean i've heard him preach homilies um before that are are just incredible um, my favorite thing, though, was at Franciscan, if you stay there during the summer, um, m- most of the conferences, they will let, except for the youth ones, obviously, but they'll let college students come to, like, the keynote on Saturday night. And um, those were, th- that was awesome. I would take advantage of that from time to time. But it was <laughs> the first time I thought the deal was you go on Saturday, not Saturday night. So as I didn't have any, obviously it was Saturday, so I didn't have any classes. So I showed up at the Catholic men's conference. I didn't pay for anything. I'm walking around eating the meals. I spent all day, like, just totally ripping off the university. It was awesome. <laughs> and uh, after after I got a free lunch, which I didn't understand why there weren't any other Franciscan students there. <laughs> I'm just so stupid. But um, we go to the, uh, I go to the field house, and they're about to start the next thing. And there is a, uh, a, a Catholic singer guy from Steubenville, who I'm, I'm not going to say who. Uh, and he's playing music, and he's kind of he's kind of like old school, charismatic, old school, you know, whatever. And uh, there's 
four men in front of me. It's a men's conference. There's four men in front of me and one very pissed off 17-year-old boy who's obviously <laughs> one of these guys' sons. There's always one. There's always one. And I'm in the second row of these folding chairs. You know, we're watching. And uh, and the men are, like, dancing to the music, you know. The there isn't anything like old-school charismatic dads. No crap. All their T-shirts tucked into their jeans, their white <laughs> sneakers, and they are dancing. I, I'm surprised that one of them was not carrying a glad tambourine. Um, but the So they're dancing, and every so often the father would elbow his son, and his son was just like retreating further into his ribcage, like, <laughs> gotta disappear into myself. Uh, <laughs> and, then, and then the turning point happened. Uh, the musician guy goes, hey, do we have any special requests while we wait for Father Michael Scanlon to get here? And one of the guys in the front, or like three of the guys in the front row in unison yell out, the happy song. Oh, no. Yeah, so the happy song is quite possibly, if you have an angsty teenager who thinks church is dumb, the idea of the happy song itself is the most repulsive thing on the face of the earth. But imagining all these grown men dancing to it uh, and singing it like it's like the greatest thing that ever happened. It just this kid like died inside. And then right to my right to my right down the aisle comes a very a slowly walking up is Father Mike, and he goes right up the stairs, and you could tell he's praying. Right, so he's praying. He's about to give the keynote. Mm-hmm. And he's praying. And then all of a sudden, he, like, hears the music. And you see his face, and he's just so curious as to and confused as to what is going on. And he, like, looks at the musician guy, who I'm sure he's friends with. And he looks over at the crowd, and he and you just, he, he just, like, sighs. And then he gets the <laughs> microphone, and he's like, all right, now Father Michael's going to lead us an opening prayer. And then Father Mike gets the microphone, and he's like, in all my years, I never imagined men dancing, or I would, I never imagined I would hear the happy song at a men's conference. <laughs> uh, and I was like, oh my God. And the kid in front of me beamed ear to ear. Would <laughs> <laughs> be good if he goes, they should all be ashamed, and just like walks off stage and drops a yeah. mic. <laughs> You want to know what's wrong with Catholic masculinity? <laughs> you are. I, so I grew up and he was like, so um, I think I talked about this before, how I grew up in a charismatic, a, a charismatic a community. So he's like a legendary individual. I, you know, heard about, my mom told me about how when she was at the conferences, he heard her um, a confession. It was like one of the greatest. It was probably a huge a conversion moment for her, actually. So he was just like, so I, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't remember not knowing who he was. And so when I went to, he was, he ended up talking at one. I think he gave the keynote at one of the youth conferences that I had attended in high school. And I just had this like that is image. awesome. Yeah, that is it was. Awesome. It was like him and like I think it was like Father John uh, uh, John Abalucci or something like two of like the old old school guys. And at the end, I remember he was. I on think you're st- thinking of. I think you're thinking of comedian John Belushi. No, but I, I can't remember that. It's that guy's last. <laughs> yeah, shut up. <laughs> so, Thank you. <laughs> um, and just like at the end of one, at the end 
of of the night, they were um, they were starting to play a really upbeat song, and he's on stage just like dancing, and I mean straight up dancing, and I remember just like having this thought of like that's amazing. I I, I, I don't know why it's just like his like just by who he was, his witness to God's to um uh to you know God's love and joy was palpable. Father Augustine Dunnigan would say to Father Michael, let the, ch- let the Lord change you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Father Michael learned that lesson. That it was through the power of the Holy Spirit, it was through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that Father Michael began to understand what it was that Jesus wanted him to do. For before that, perhaps what it was was this small, and Jesus began to break open his heart, and the Holy Spirit began to animate his life and allowed him to see that Jesus had much greater things for him, that he was inviting him to do much greater things. And at that point of receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Father Michael says that his life begins to change. The water, brothers and sisters, is becoming wine as he's experiencing this conversion that the Holy Spirit animated who Jesus was for him it brought him to life it gave him hope and purpose and meaning and joy as we heard in the first in this first reading from Ezekiel that these dry bones began to come life and Father Michael understood that and Father Michael also received at that time the gift of prophecy as the Ezekiel prophesies over the dry bones it would become Father Michael Scanlon's mission to prophesy over dry bones and the power of the Holy Spirit and bring life to God's people. Amen? Amen. Amen. Because Father Michael wanted to do whatever Jesus told him. And the way that he would look at you when he, when he, when he passed you made you, I mean, I would like feel like he knows me. Yeah. Like I'm, which is, I don't, I, I, it's, it's, I was really trying but to think about this last tonight, and I think the only way that I can ex- that I can really explain it is that he he looked at you like you were an actual person created in the image and in the likeness of God. You felt like he like that he saw you and saw your inherent dignity, and that he knew you. Which is, I don't, I, I don't know, if, that's kind of hard to put in in uh, to words, but it was just like something about that was just incredible. Yeah, yeah. My, uh, <clears throat> when I was, uh, no, I'm not going to tell this goofy story first, but uh, I took an ecumenism class when I was at Franciscan. It was taught by a, um, the gray, oh, what are they called? The Grays, Graymore Fathers, I think. Um, they're a Franciscan religious order that was started in the Anglican Church uh, in the early 1900s. Yeah, Graymore in in this area in I think in New England and in England and in England, um, with the anticipation that the Anglican Church would become Roman Catholic, uh, which fascinates me. And then when they, as the 1900s progressed, they all became uh, sad that the Anglican Church was not the Anglican Communion was not going to rejoin Rome, so the whole order joined Rome. And uh, they have been uh, the kind of the center of Catholic movement in evan- um, ecumenism ever since. So it was cool that this Franciscan friar um, was teaching this. Uh, different religious order than Father Michael Scanlon was involved. He was a TOR, third order regular. Um, 
but one day he invited Father Mike to come in and to talk about what is it like, what was it like ecumenism wise being a Franciscan in a, in Steubenville in the 60s and 70s when the mafia was big and yet, you know, um, it, it just all this stuff, right? So Father Mike tells these stories that you would think were made up by Hollywood about, you know, like this fictitious person. And he just tells them so matter-of-factly and with such a self-forgetfulness, you know, it's it was awesome. So the first story he tells us is about the race riots in the 60s. You know, I hear about this stuff, but I have no idea what it was like. He talks about how in West Virginia, in uh, Weirton, West Virginia, which is, for people who don't know, it's right over, the Franciscan University is on the river, um, high up on a mountaintop, but it's on the river. And all of Steubenville is right on the uh, other side of the river from Weirton, West Virginia, where the big steel mill is. And the uh, a Black Panther, a new Black Panther was elected or nominated, whatever, the head of this group in Weirton. And the guy said, we will burn Steubenville to the ground. Right? So Ooh. everyone so everyone is terrified. And Father Mike and the mayor were friends. They used to play tennis, uh, I think, every week. But for months and months, literally for like a year before this, Father Mike is giving all of these articles written by um, black Americans about their experience of oppression and racism and all this stuff. He's giving all these articles to the mayor of Steubenville and the mayor of Steubenville, so that he can help him navigate this time of uh, of upheaval and, and riot and all this stuff. Because if you, people don't know this, when they think of Steubenville, if you don't live in Steubenville, you think of two things. If you're a normal American or Catholic or whatever, you think of Franciscan University and you think of the big red rape case, which is the high school there. Um, those are the only two things that Steubenville is now known for. It used to be a big mafia town um, that was... It used that, to be? Yeah, good point, good point. But uh, it's halfway between Chicago and New York, and so Al Capone basically built Steubenville. You know, there was a big union, steel town, all this stuff, but there is a lot of African Americans who live there, and so... Father Mike is giving the mayor all this information. And then when the, the Black Panther guy made that statement, uh, Father Mike said, uh, the mayor called him panicking. He goes, well, you've been reading the articles, right? And he's like, no, nah, I haven't read one. And he's like, oh, no. And he's like, what are you going to do? What am I going to do? I'm, I'm panicking here. And so they literally took 911, like the call center, and put it in his office. And they just staffed it with people from the university as well as from the police department. And literally, Father Mike ran the city of Steubenville. Uh, and one of the things that he did, I don't remember everything, but the, one of the things that he did was he put one black man in every single police car to ride shotgun to make sure that there were no abuses going on. There was hmm. no, mm-hmm. you know, and to, to literally watch the watchman, basically. And he said, the only thing that happened, there was a protest, but the only thing that happened was uh, a, a window, a rock was thrown through a window of a, an abandoned building, building, and so that was it. And uh, it was so funny because, like, here he is striving, you know, having these conversations with the mayor to desperately break it out of this, you know, like white dominated, un, un mm-hmm. you know, resistant to change kind of thing. And the mayor's like, "I need you to do everything," and he did, <laughs> and he did. Oh, that's I had never heard that story before. Yeah, he shared it. He's like, oh, yes. 
So I ran nine one one. I'm like, you did what? <laughs> and the, and it was funny because the room that we were in was his office before they added on to um, the building, which is the one of the primary education buildings called Egan Egan Hall. Um, that room upstairs, right at the top of the stairs, is a big conference room, and we only had like eight people in the class, so we would just gather around the big conference table, and we invited him in, and he was like, this used to be, and that's why I told the story, instead of talking about ecumenism for the first like 20 minutes, it was like, this used to be my office, I remember the time when this had, he had like 10 phones, uh, all these like computers and stuff, uh, or not computers, it was the 60s, uh, just phones and switchboards, that's what it was, uh, so funny. I I don't think a lot of people, and I mean, why, um, oh, why would you really understand how stressful it is to run an educational institution? And the fact that he was able to not only change, like, like, he saved a school, you know, I mean, he saved an entire school, which you could argue helped ultimately, like, it, I mean, I, I don't know how important the school is to the town, but I would imagine it, you know, it's, if you were to take the school out, out of there, it would really hurt the city. Um, so just the fact that he saved the school and that he was able to help it build such a strong Catholic identity is mind-blowing. Yeah. To me, because it's, I mean, it is, it is hard just to keep a school up and running. It is very, very hard. But Michael understood to be able to hear the word of the Lord and to be able to respond to the Lord, that the Lord spoke to people in many and very different ways. But what Father Michael wanted was brothers who would ask and do whatever Jesus asked of them. But it wasn't just the friars. He would surround himself with professors and with teachers and faculty members that had one thing, the lordship of Jesus Christ and the grace and the desire to do whatever it was that Jesus asked. And he surrounded himself and created a culture here at Franciscan University of people who wanted to do whatever Jesus asked them. Amen? And water was becoming wine. But it wasn't just the faculty and staff, it was Erla, the people who answered the phone, huh? It was a culture of faith that was being created here. And I, as a 21-year-old student, began to experience that, not only in the class, not only at the feet of Father Michael Scanlon, but I remember a class that I was sitting in, Dr. Andy Minto was teaching, and he was preaching about holiness and the call to holiness. And at that moment, my life changed because Michael had a professor who wanted to do what only Jesus wanted. Now you were a principal of a of a small school with a Catholic affiliation. Can't mm-hmm. call it a Catholic school, of a private school. You uh, can now. Oh, act, cool! Actually, Very yeah, cool. it's cool. really cool. So, anywho, so um, you you were a principal there, but you beforehand, you had done teaching and administration, right, in a previous mm-hmm. institute, and you knew you wanted to work more in administration than being faculty for the rest of your life, mm-hmm. right? Yes. One day, uh, the story of Father Mike is one day his um, religious superior calls him in in the, in the 60s and says uh, he was being prepared uh, to be a South American Franciscan missionary. So he was being prepared to go to South America and be a missionary, like straight up missionary life. He spent the last three years before his ordination to do that. And then um, his superior, Father Kevin, just said, 
you are going to you are going to Franciscan University and you will be the dean. Or the College of Supervillain, you will be the dean. And that's it. Like he's like, you're, you're just gonna have to do that. <laughs> and so he said that he Here you go. <laughs> so he said he just panicked and he's like, uh so the first thing he did was he looked up uh Dean in the dictionary because he didn't know what it was. <laughs> like he's like, I've got you know, he was a Harvard grad Harvard Law graduate, all this stuff, and he said that he had no clue what a dean was. So he looked it up and he's like, the head of a division, faculty, college, or school or of a university. Great. And so he just started going to conferences, like one at like Catholic University, another one at, um, oh, I can't remember. But, you know, he would go to all these places, and he's like, what does it mean to run a school? And basically, they put him there so that he could shut it down, because the College of Steubenville is not doing well. <laughs> and he did it. Thank you, Father Mike. The great story, Father Michael goes to Father Kevin, and, and Father Michael's dream, if it was up to him, he was going to be a missionary in the Amazon. And very clearly, Father Kevin says, Mike, you're not going to be a good missionary. Check that off your list. Okay, well, how about a moral theologian? Check that off your list. You're not going to do that. How about a dean at the College of Steubenville? Because Michael wants to do whatever Jesus asks him. And Michael discovered that. In his brothers, in his obedience. If Michael would have done what Michael wanted, none of us would be here. But Michael looked to the rule, looked to his brothers, looked to the Gospels to be able to discover what it was that Jesus was asking him. For he wanted to do whatever Jesus asked. And water was becoming wine. You see, Father Michael understood that, that if he would do whatever Jesus asked, that Jesus would do great things, and he would transform simple water into something holy. Which brings us here, to this place. That Father Michael understood through the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the proclamation of the gospel that he wanted to do something here. Father Michael is the first to say that he did not have this great plan for Franciscan University of Steubenville, then the College of Steubenville. But what he knew was that he wanted to do whatever Jesus asked him. Yeah, I don't think you can overstate how important that school is to American Catholicism. I mean, even just from a... And, and when I say important, like there are some individuals who really don't like it. And I think that speaks to just how important it, it, it is. Yeah. And did I, you? Oh, sorry. Also, no, we, we're going to talk about the uh, article from Other oh, Crux. Yeah. 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 That was great. Was yeah. Really great. John Allen Jr., he is amazing. I have no idea who that is. He used to work for America. Or Catholic National Catholic Reporter, he's the guy that covered everything about all the possible popes um, during the last election. He he really he literally I felt like he carried National Catholic Reporter on his shoulders, um, and then now he started his own thing, Crux, and his article was awesome. Anyway, yeah, I know, and and I think it's I mean you, I don't know, like think about how many priest DREs youth ministers, anyone involved that's out there doing stuff. And and this is not, I mean, we're both in the world of youth ministry slash, you know, like e, um, event, 
evangelization, but think about, I mean, just like 10 lawyers and like how many different people in the church that's, that have, that have attended that school who, who works at Catholic schools, who works, you know, at hospitals, as doctors, as, as nurses. And it really is just, I mean, you cannot over, cannot overstate this. It's just a result of his faithfulness to God that he was willing to go where, um, you know, God led him. It's crazy. Yeah. It's absolutely crazy. I remember sitting in the Portsiuncle in front of Jesus in the adoration and hearing the Lord say to me, in my call to be a priest, bear the fruit that must endure. It must endure. Michael creates an environment. An environment where people encounter Jesus. And what begins to happen is people began to come here to the university, some searching and longing and wondering and hoping, and they come as students and they come as conference participants, and slowly water begins to be transformed into wine once again. People come broken, and they're healed. They come searching, and they find did you see Father Dave's um, homily at the uh, Memorial Mass? Father I did Dave's, not. Uh, Ivanka? I did not, no. I choked oh, up. I, I was sobbing by the end. Uh, I mean, honestly, like, I, was, I was like, we were doing, I'm going to start crying now. Uh, uh, he, he, he did the prayer that, um, that, that Father Mike used uh, to lead people in. To basically just give their hearts over to God. And it just like, like me and my wife, we stood up and we prayed it with them at the end. And, um, I don't know. It's, I know that we like to make a lot of jokes about the school and stuff. And, um, I can't believe that I'm doing this at six in the morning. Uh, just like, I love, I love that school. I love everything about it. I love what it's done in my life. I love the people there. I love everyone that I've ever met from from there. I love that school, and I love that man. I was praying last night, and I had this image of water that was coming, and it was flowing through the university campus, and it was flowing first through our brotherhood at the Friary, and this water was coming through, and it was flowing throughout the campus, through all the buildings, and it flew through the Portsiancola, and as the water was flowing through this campus, the water was becoming wine. And then I asked myself, really? Is it really possible, Lord, that basically what you're doing here is you've got a winery? Huh? (laughs) Isn't that so great? But isn't that what it is? Is is the miracle and the beauty of Cana is that God in in people submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and saying yes to Jesus takes water and he makes wine. And isn't that what happened in Father Michael's life? It isn't all the books that he wrote. It isn't all the wonderful things, but is that Father Michael submitted to the beauty of the church. He submitted to his friars. He submitted to the brotherhood. He submitted to the obedience of the church. And water becomes wine. And what we look around here is the same thing. It's simply a representation of that fundamental reality that when we give ourselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, water becomes wine. And Franciscan University is a testimony to the faithfulness of Jesus. And then Father Michael saying, what do you want me to do? I will do whatever you ask me.
one of my other stories uh, of Father Mike is is when I made him laugh. Uh, I don't know. Do you remember this story? I think, I, it might I think so. Go on. So I was invited every so often to MC different small like household things that would happen. And at uh, at the there was a household called Mother of Love, which is just the best name ever. Ever. Um, they would do an annual lip sync as a fundraiser. So you would, I think you like gave money to be in the fundraiser, and then you do these ridiculous lip syncs. Um, and Father Mike was the advisor to their household, and so uh, I'm, you know, I'm introducing, welcoming everyone as they're coming in. Everyone sits down. We begin, and I say, before we begin, Mother of Love would like to have Father Mike come forward, and you know he's sitting in the front row with all the girls, and to have him come forward and do an opening prayer and blessing. So Father Mike comes up. Now I'm like a junior, I think, at this time. And at the same time, the the our friend John's impression of Father Mike <laughs> is like <laughs> embedded in my soul. So every time I see him, I'm always like, let the fire fall. Oh, I can see you. <laughs> I'm reading your soul right now. We have, we imbued Father Mike with every mystical gift that has ever happened in the Catholic tradition. I'm so, in the places I want to. <laughs> so he um, he leads this, you know, beautiful, very simple prayer, and he he's always blessing, you know, and he blesses everyone. And he walks up and hands me the microphone as I, or he walks down as I'm walking up, and I just start going, "Oh Lord God." <laughs> oh, let your fire fall. Let your fire fall. And the best part was, uh, you know, he going, he's sitting down, and I'm behind him. And I'm I'm extending my hand out, like I'm calling down the Holy Spirit. And I'm going, let your fire fall, Lord. Just let your fire fall. Oh, yes, Lord. And all of the MOL girls are paralyzed, <laughs> frozen with their mouths open in a, Oh my God! I can't believe you're doing this right in front of him, face. And I and, and when I saw their, I thought everyone would be like, ha 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 ha. The room was pretty much dead silent that I was making fun of the holiest man who's responsible for our education. And and he turns around as he's sitting down and he looks at me and he goes like his head kind of cocked to the side, like what is this? And then I just looked at him and then in my head the same the same thing that inspires this podcast was this this moment of stupidity when I just looked at him and said and I just went, Well, it's time to double down. <laughs> so I just went, Father Mike, we're just gonna let the fire fall. Let it fall. And he started laughing and then all the MOL girls started laughing. And I was like, Oh, thank God. Oh, dodged a bullet on that one. He's commissioning you to be evangelized. He said, no, wait a minute. I don't know if I could do that. I don't have much theology. I really got a bad track record, and everybody knows it. I'm not all that holy. I haven't been showing up. Hey, guys, those are just the guys like you that you can bring in. Believe me, when I sit down on a plane and start evangelizing some guy, and he sees my collar and everything else, I don't know if I'm ready for this one. He backs off and suddenly has to go to sleep or bury himself in books. But you approach the guy saying, I've been there. Matter of fact, I was just there last month or last year. I know where you are. I know what you're struggling. You can talk to, you can bring the message. You can do it. It's one by one, one person. 
and then bringing them into a group, and then the group into the life of the church. This is what God wants. This is what the Pope's commissioning. I can remember, so I was asked to speak to, this is like 2005, I was asked to speak to a group of benefactors. I was, I was like, sure, I don't know why me, but okay. And he was there, and he's like, now I want to have a student who's going to talk about how they had a little bit of a hard time when they first got here. And I was like, what? It's <laughs> not me at all. <laughs> so I like tried to like curtail it to like, well, I did have a little bit of a hard time, but it's mostly just because I'm getting, you know, emotional eight, eight, 18 year old. I couldn't wait to get here. <laughs> and, uh, but anyways, I just remember while I was, um, doing my brief little talk thing, the, the just the way that like he looked at me was like with such like joy. Absolutely. And you could just tell that like he loved you. No matter who you were, you had his full attention. And like it was honestly I I remember just like going, he's listening. Like that's weird. Like, he, he doesn't have to listen. Like this is just a thing that like like he's intently like like he's listening. That's crazy. It was just it was really, really powerful and really cool. Good man. The uh crap. My brain just totally went blank. I like read something and I was like, oh, that's awesome. And then you said something. I was like, oh, that's even better. And now I can't remember. <laughs> you could not understand Father Michael Scanlon without understanding two things, I feel like. Um, number one, oh, I, I remember what I was going to say. But uh, number one, you couldn't understand Father Mike if you don't understand the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. There is no Father Mike without uh, uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. His his book about kind of about his really only real substantial book that he wrote is called let the fire fall. It's all about having renewed life in the Holy spirit. Um, how you need to have a relationship with the Holy spirit who leads you always to Christ. And, um, and he was a man who personally brought about the healing of thousands of people. Um, he wit I mean, not just witnessed it, but you know, praying over people directly mm-hmm. and speaking powerfully and all this stuff. Father Mike, you can't understand him without understanding the Catholic charismatic renewal. Because for him, orthodoxy was not what the church was about. Orthodoxy was necessary but not sufficient. Believing the right things got you to the right person, right? You know, Scripture says the Holy Spirit will remind you of all the things that Christ has spoken to us. And Father Mike, I felt like, had such a, a, a naturality, a, a unity with the Holy Spirit because it always showed him the face of Christ. And to think that being Catholic was just about knowing the right things as if at the, our, our whole lives are lived to take comprehensive exams, you know, and some theology tests mm-hmm. like I had to do at Franciscan and it killed me. But uh, when we look at all of these things, they're you can't understand his faith without understanding this intensely personal, like I'm not going to move unless you move me, Lord spirituality of father Mike and the Holy spirit and the charismatic renewal and all of that. I mean, it changed the face of modern Catholicism because as people were reacting to the backlash of the reform of the renewal of the post Vatican II church, he was out in tents preaching the gospel, following Jesus. To him, orthodoxy was a means to get to know Christ. And there are too many people. I, I met with this one priest at a who was at a seminary that was one of the most, it, it, it is known as one of the greatest academically rigorous and prayerful seminaries, right? I mean, they, they have a very ordered prayer life. It's not, you know, whatever. 
And I said, what's it like there? You know, I'm trying to live through him because my wife totally is a chalice chipper and snatched me from the seminary. But uh, he said, (laughs) (laughs) he said, uh, he said, uh, the men there hide from the Holy Spirit behind a wall of orthodoxy. And I said, I was like, what do you mean? He said, they're they're terrified of what the Holy Spirit is going to do to their lives. So the hi- they hide behind the Summa, or they hide behind their, you know, whether they're Von Balthasar or Ron or whatever, probably not Ronner, but uh, <laughs> they hide behind all of this stuff because they think that that's what it means to be a good Catholic, and they're refusing to allow this animating principle of the Holy Spirit. And I say that because I felt like for Father Mike, he was so, he had these multiple experiences of profound intimacy with Christ given to him through the Holy Spirit, and so he's like, well, of course of course I'm going to be pro-life. Of course I'm going to love mm-hmm. the child in the world. Of course I'm going to love the poor. Of course I'm going to love minorities in Steubenville. Of course, you know, and he would do these things. They would do, they're called, um, not preach off. Oh, yeah. Preach I out. I remember that. Preach yeah. out. Yeah, they, they would do these preach outs. But the people don't know that, the, like, one of the origins of the preach outs where people would basically swap pulpits and preach um, at different parishes and different churches, and you try to figure out, you know, you would, like, vote on who was the best. But um, that was his that was his ecumenical outreach. People mm-hmm. don't realize, that was started because he wanted to get access to black Christians in Steubenville and let them know that he was for them. And so he would go into their churches and talk with their pastors. The pastors would be like, all right. And he's like, yeah, come up on campus and preach, and I'll come to your church and preach, and they'll get to know us. Right, so we reduce it to like this, like oh, competition. But for him, it was how he like got his face in front of people who otherwise, I mean, if you're not Catholic and you you don't care about the college, you're never going to know Father Mike is. But Father Mike needed them to know that he cared about and thought about them, so that's why they did that. Most people are ignorant of that, and I I just yeah. Anyway, I I think that his charismatic, his charismatic, uh, um. I mean, I hate to call it a spirit, a spirituality, but just it's six in the morning. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it was just like, like it was almost like, why wouldn't he be? Like, why not? It was not some choice of like I'm a you know hyper emotional individual or anything like that. It was just that's just you know like it's just a result of his relationship with God. Yeah, and absolutely. I won't ever forget. So. I was going through, you know, as always, a little bit of a uh, hard time, and I went to a confession with him. I actually went with him, uh, him and this other guy, I think Father Dominic, a couple of times. They were like, kind of. I just would always end up going to them, and 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 I, I just I remember at this one point in time, after I, I went on for like ten minutes, as I always do. And he just stops me, and he, and he goes, I want you to pray for the supernatural gift of hope. And I have never forgotten that. Yeah. yeah. Just, and it was not this, you know, he didn't, like, walk me through all this stuff. It was just like, here's what you got to do. Pray f- for the gift of hope. And, like, it really, that helped me see that, like, true Christian hope, like, true hope is a gift that's not of this world. And I have never forgotten that. Like, I won't ever forget him, just like his face, the earnestness with which he said that. And it, yeah, it's just, a, it's so, it's just crazy what happens when you say yes to God every day and allow him to work. Yeah. So uh, the other thing that you can't 
know, you will never know Father Michael Scanlon unless you know and love St. Francis of Assisi. Um, I did not know. Okay, so my background is I came from a France, a Polish Capuchin Franciscan parish. The Capuchins were, they were a, a renewal movement to kind of get to the more aust- original austerity of the Franciscans. And they were they're called, anywho, these men lived utterly simple lives. I, as an altar server, sometimes I'd have to go in their, the rectory or whatever they called it. And uh, I would look into their cells, you know, which was their bedroom. And you could touch the walls by putting your hands out on both sides, right? You, it was there. It wasn't wide. It had a very simple bed, a simple table, uh, one extra habit hanging in the closet, and their wreck clothes. And that's it. And they lived such a radical simplicity that when the church became diocesan, the pastor knocked out the wall to three of the cells, put in a queen-size bed, and uh, one of those one of those multi-disc changers that had like three trays, you know, those little <laughs> stereos. Yeah. 1994 was a great year. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, so they he had, um, maybe it was a cassette tape player with high-speed dubbing. Um, this is for my Jahan Asicata album. <laughs> and so what ended up happening was, I remember as an altar server, loving the poverty of these priests. And then when I saw the the wanton luxuriousness of a queen-size bed with more than one pillow of the diocesan priest, I remember as a little kid not understanding and just thinking, oh my God, what happens when the bishop finds out about how decadent <laughs> his life is? <laughs> <laughs> Were you like nine years old when he wondered this? A little bit older. A little bit older. A little bit older. Eleven? Maybe maybe about twelve. Maybe about twelve or thirteen. 12? Yeah. But I hmm. I just remember being like, oh my god. Because these men lived the poverty of Francis. Mm. Yeah. They really did. They truly, honestly had the spirit of Francis. Now, my and this is what I think is interesting. So I I was asked to do a retreat at my school uh for the faculty. And staff, and they are doing what they're, they're like. What is the charism of our school? That's what they want to study. And so, the over the summer, they read about Saint Anthony. You know, Church Saint Anthony of Padua. So they've been reading about Saint Anthony, and I just had this massive conviction to say, you'll never understand Anthony unless you understand Francis, because Anthony was a Franciscan. So I bought, che- I, I've, I've owned Chesterton St. Francis of Assisi. I actually own the one that Ignatius Press has done, which is both that and um, the St. Thomas Aquinas one. And I've only read the St. Thomas Aquinas one because I love St. Thomas Aquinas. And so the crazy thing was I bought the audio book and I have this book and I read it all that morning before I gave my talks. And I can't tell you the most the, the profound effect relive re-studying the life of Francis has had on me in the last week because this was last weekend uh, or last Tuesday is when I did this and I, I mean I'm telling you like I want to reprioritize my whole life because mm. Saint Francis of Assisi was amazing and I I would say all these like I would tell people all these like little stories and uh, right before I left to go give the talk uh, I left my house at um, about seven o'clock in the morning, and I grabbed Father Mike's "Let the Fire Fall," and I haven't looked at this book in, in maybe like three or four years. But here is my favorite part, right? Here's my favorite. So Father Mike's trying to figure out if he's called to the priest or where he needs to go. He goes to this Franciscan priest that someone told him about for spiritual direction. The guy basically told him, "Do you know anything about Saint Francis?" And he's like, "No." He says, "Go and read the life of Francis," and it captivated him. And Father Michael begins to discover what Jesus is asking him to do through Father James Cleary, through his brother. 
At the end of this meeting, Father Jim says to him, have you ever read anything about Francis? And Father Michael says, no. And Father Jim says, go home tonight and read about the life of Francis of Assisi. And Michael, being the ever overachiever, not only read the light, he read everything he could find. And brothers and sisters, Father Michael fell in love again. And water begins to be transformed into wine. Because he found in Francis, and it was only grace, that, that Father Michael knew that his propensity was to greatness and was to, and was to power and influence. And he finds in Francis of Assisi somebody who is willing to get rid of everything, to let go of everything, and realizing that it is until everything is taken away that we discover God. It is only when we become small, when we let go, when we surrender, we are stripped that we find the glory of God. And Father Michael knew that his, his personality was such that he needed that. He would go on to say that it would be easy for him to submit to God, but difficult for him to submit to man. And he knew that that was what Jesus wanted him to do. So Father kneels in front of a friar and professes vows and professes the rule of life of the Franciscan friars of the third order regular, and he understood that he would discover what it is that Jesus wanted him to do in brotherhood. And this, was, this is my favorite, favorite quote from him that I think encapsulates Father Mike very well, very well. The kingdom that Francis served was literally not of this world. He understood that the servant of the king of kings had to break completely with the world system. That made him, and this is my favorite part, that made him invulnerable. If you took away his food, he fasted. If you took away his lodging, he found perfect joy in the cold and the snow. If you abused him and told him he was no good, he agreed with you. If you took away his life, he became a martyr. The world could not force him to compromise. And he said, Francis never mm. had the intention of founding anything. He resisted efforts to give his followers a rule and a structure, saying to those who followed him, Simply come and let's live the kingdom together. Like, this is amazing. <laughs> like, this is like my, every, every Catholic, every Christian who's ever like overwhelmingly loved God. Like we, one of the, we go through these stages where we get so frustrated with the church as she is now or church as she's incarnated in a parish or something. That we're like, come on, let's just, let's just live for each other. Let's just, I can't tell you how many talks I've been to. It's like, let's just love each other and let's just do this life together. But here you see Francis building the largest religious order in the history of the church by literally doing that. And uh, I loved it. And so one of his, um, the Bishop of Assisi was so scared of Francis's rule, which is just quotes from the gospel about living utter poverty. Francis said, uh, if we had possessions, then we would need weapons and laws to defend them. And so Father Mike says, that, I thought, was one of the shrewdest insights any Christian ever had. By renouncing possessions and comforts and weapons and laws, Francis and his followers became free, utterly and completely free. The world had no hold on him. And that's, I feel like, that notion the world had no hold on is Father Michael Scanlon. Mm -hmm. And I just want to end with my favorite story of him, which is him, Dr. Hahn, uh, a bunch of other professors in 1989 were arrested and thrown in jail for um, an Operation Rescue peaceful protest in front of an abortion clinic. 
and they held them for like a week. They had it was whatever it was. They were able to do it for like a week. The bishop of Steubenville was there. <laughs> like he convinced him to come to one of these, and then it's the one where they get arrested for a long time. <laughs> and Doctor Han would tell these stories of, um, and Father Mike told the story too, where the Protestants that were with them, um, Doctor Miravalli was teaching in the in the prison. They he was teaching a, a Mariology class, like a Marian scripture class. Doctor Han was leading scripture study. <laughs> Father Mike was doing healings and leading empowerment in the Holy Spirit in the middle of a prison. And the prison was so overwhelmed because it was like hundreds of people that got arrested that they just put them in like a group jail cell, like at the local jail, and <laughs> like praying over the guards and doing script. And it was like Doctor Han. I think it was Doctor Han said it was essentially a retreat uh, <laughs> in a jail cell. And you think about that, like his witness to life, his witness to the truth of the church, his witness to the the power of the Holy Spirit, so embodied Father Mike that I do not think, I mean, Father Dave Pavanka to me is someone that carries on his spiritual legacy by just loving the Holy Spirit and letting that motivate his love for others. But, uh, you know, and, and, and Father Dave, I think, has his JD now, he's a lawyer too, uh, or not a lawyer, but he has that law degree. He... Um, but there will never be another person like him. He was fit for our time. He was just 70s enough to speak to the world of the 70s, the progressives. He was charismatic enough to reach in their hearts, but he was rooted in the church so he could pull people back home. I love him. Yeah, I, I don't think there's anything else that can really describe him besides that last line of, let's live the kingdom together. That embodies everything from the conferences to the charismatic renewal to uh, to these to these to these school, and I will forever be grateful to and for him. So, uh, I think there is one last thing. Uh, his words, you know, come, let us live the kingdom together, following Francis, but also let the fire fall. Mm-hmm. That yeah. is bringing the Holy Spirit into your life. I have come to start a fire on this earth and oh, how I wish it were already blazing. Christ said that Father Mike was a spiritual pyromaniac, uh, lighting, lighting idiots like me on fire for not just for God, not just for truth, but for God's kingdom, for real people to actually love and be concerned with real people. Um, and so I just hope, I hope that this podcast can, if you don't know anything about Father Mike, to go on YouTube and listen to some of his his homilies and talks and presentations to find out. I'm going to post links to the, to the mass, the Franciscan of um, Franciscan's thing of the, of the homily. Um, I just hope, I just hope that you let the fire fall in your own heart. I believe that the baptism of the Holy spirit, the poverty and love of St. Francis of Assisi, these are like unique charisms that our church desperately needs today. It needs people who animated by the Holy spirit are just going to, are just going to come and live the kingdom. And it's not about talking, and it's not about, you know, all this stuff. It's it's actually lived out in communities of people who who love Christ and love one another. So, I mean, I, I am going to miss you, Father Mike Scanlon. Thank you so mm-hmm. much for your witness. Um, we have a, an intercessor in heaven, so uh, we're going to make him the spiritual patron of our Dude, podcast. I've thought that. I've honestly thought that. I'm like, I think we should probably, like, have a conversation about having him be the pa- I I. I have literally 
been thinking about that. Does that mean that we have to stop cussing? I think it probably does. <laughs> no, no. I, I'm actually probably would not be okay with that. But, you know. <laughs> he would not at all. No. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Father Mike. Father Mike. <laughs> I just heard this story that he got blacks were still segregated from the Bellevue swimming pool. And when Father oh Mike, gosh. Father Mike, the rectory housekeeper, was black, and he was like, "Hey, how, where are your kids? It's so hot out. Why aren't they swimming in the pool?" And she looked at him and she's like, "Father Mike, they're not allowed in the pool." And he looks at her and he goes, "Bring them tomorrow." <laughs> and he marches <laughs> right up and he's like, "You gotta let them swim in this pool. I'm gonna let the fire fall." <laughs> Why am I levitating? <laughs> Give me a second here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how do I have fireballs in my hands? <laughs> he was Mario. Yeah, I don't think he's he wants to be the patron of our podcast anymore. <laughs> it was hot outside, and he said, "Sure, where's your kids?" And I said, "You know, they're home." He said, "Why ain't they swimming?" I said, "They're not allowed to go to swimming up here." And he says, "Oh my goodness!" So he said, "Bring them with you tomorrow." I brought them up. And he took him over to the Bellevue. He said, the cook works up here. They're going swimming up here. And that was the beginning of the blacks going to Bellevue. Um, anywho, so Luke, thank you so much for yeah, doing man. this. Um, you too. Yeah, it's it's now 6.09 a.m. in my time. It's what? It's obviously 7.09 in your time. Are you mm-hmm. um, you're getting ready to go to work? Yeah. Yep. What can you do today to incarnate the spirit of Father Mike? Francis, mm. Holy Spirit, in at work today. That's a good question. Okay, you, you work at? Do you work at a at a chancery office? Huh. Hmm. Do you? I uh, mean, is that the is that the word? I'm gonna. I'm not going to lie to you. I I've heard that word used a lot. I think I know what it means. <laughs> <laughs> do you work at the central office complex for yes. a diocese or other religious institution? Yes. Okay. You know, I'm at a point right now where I'm like, I need to be able to talk about this. So I'm gonna I bring know. this up to HR. It's getting like, es- yeah. especially now with my new job there. So yeah, I do. What are you talking about? This is the best thing ever. It's, you can't can't say your last name, <laughs> even though I've said your last name, middle name twice on this episode. Um. So the one of the things that we that we talked about on this my on this this evangelization thing was how many chancellery people um don't work for the mission of the diocese. They just do their own silo. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like do you care about other people? Are you praying for other people? Are you doing this? And so my thing that I'm gonna do for Father Mike is I am going to kind of to carry on his legacy by working with my staff members and trying to let the fire fall specifically for for a couple staff members um and share i'm gonna share father mike's story at work today that's my goal i think father michael would want us to know that that invitation is not merely to him but it's to everybody this encounter to the person of jesus christ that changes our life that gives us purpose and meaning this letting go this surrender this transformation from water to wine metanoia the charism of my franciscan community is for everybody. I think what I'm going to do today is I think he, I mean, I don't really know specifically how well he, he worked with other people in, in the church, but I know that he did. And I, th- and I know that he, on a couple of occasions where he put his foot down, and I know on a couple of occasions where uh, he was just a patient or, or, or whatever. So I think I'm going to try to embody that 
the day is to go, how can I, and how can I be a, be a part of what's happening as opposed to, uh, just wanting to do my own thing, which, which can be, I mean, which, you know, is just as bad when you're doing it for, um, good reasons as opposed to like what I would say are bad reasons. Yeah. Yeah. So no point in doing and having a, a, um, a culture war. It's koinonia, which is bondedness, which is commitment, which is fraternity, which is brotherhood, which is buddyhood. But it's done in the power and the relationship of the Holy Spirit. And from that relationship to the Holy Spirit, God's eternal, unlimited power is released. You can do it. Everybody else in the office can be having adulterous affairs. Everybody around you in the neighborhood can be showing pornographic movies. You've got fellowship of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to do it. You, you will never be alone. You won't be the oddball because you're going to be the inball. You're going to be in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. This is so key to any solution in our lives, to fidelity, to faithfulness. So uh, at this meeting, we're all like strategizing. And I said, my friend Luke would say, uh, all your strategies are nice, but Pope Benedict wants us to have sanctity, not strategy, not just strategy. And we were all talking about that. And then Father Dave Pavanka said, you know what's interesting about Father Mike? Did you know that he never had a plan for like Franciscan or for households? I was going to bring that up, but I, I decided it would be too much of, it can't, it would be a too big uh to be given an issue to talk about. Yeah, but he would just go and pray mm-hmm. and be like, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm willing to do whatever. All right, what, what's a household? I'll do a household. Okay, let's do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's it. I mean, <laughs> I yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. So I, you, know, you know what? I'm going to do more today. I'm just going to pray more specifically for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit during all. I have a lot of meetings today. I have about five hours of me. Actually, I have six hours Ooh. of meetings t- today and then like two and a half hours of uh stuff uh, tonight so it's coming for a long day all so right. i'm just gonna pray for of the of the holy spirit all right saint francis of assisi father michael scanlon pray, pray for, for us. us that we encounter jesus and in that we ask that the holy spirit would fill us and animate us and we begin to see the glory of God. We begin to see the majesty of God as the second reading spoke up. I believe that Jesus would desire that and I believe that Father Michael would desire that. I preached at so many conferences and Father Michael would lead the congregation in the same prayer. And I'm going to be so bold as to invite us to do that here this morning. For us to be able to say, Jesus, what do you want me to do? Father Michael was always about, it's not about him, but it's about his kingdom. And it's about his glory. So I would invite, as I think Father Michael would invite, as I know the Lord would invite, us to say yes to him again. And to ask for his grace and his Holy Spirit. So, should you desire that? I have on my phone the prayer that Father Michael has led so many people through that is in his book, Let the Fire Fall, of saying yes to Jesus and yes to his Holy Spirit and yes to obedience. Perhaps as a community, responding to the Lord's call, we could do this this morning. So I invite you, should you desire, 
to stand up and to pray this with me. Lord Jesus Christ, I want to belong to you. I want to be free from the dominion of darkness and the rule of Satan. And I want to enter into your kingdom and be a part of your people. I will turn away from all sin. And I will avoid everything that leads me to wrongdoing. I will ask you to forgive all my sins that I have committed. Come into my heart as my personal Savior and Lord. I offer you my life. And I promise to obey you as my Lord and Master. And I ask you to baptize me in your Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, fill us with your spirit. Michael, we ask that you would go before the throne of the Father and intercede on our behalf. That we would do whatever Jesus asks us. And you would transform us by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, from water to wine. Finally, one of the scenes Father Michael would share with me was that when he celebrated Mass, he would see the Lord at the Last Supper with the chalice, and he would see Jesus on the cross, and he would see the blood flowing. The Lord changes water to wine and wine to blood. And in this Eucharist, we are invited to drink and receive freely and to be transformed into the body of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.